0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: start making our way back to our seats, and I'm going to ask Trent if he'll come up and read our scripture reading for this evening.
2: Good evening. This evening's scripture reading is from Luke, the 13th chapter, and the first nine verses, which read, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should I use, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone for this year also until I dig up around it and put on manure. And then it should bear fruit the next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down then. Thank you.
1: An abrupt stop there, right? It's it's a weird place to stop the verse, yeah. I get it. It's all right. It's all right. Uh let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, you are good and gracious. God you have given us your own word uh, as a testimony of your graciousness to us and as we open up your word um we ask that you would use your word to convict our hearts um that you would uh God make us recognize the ways that we fall short God that we recognize uh, your character and the great mercy that you have shown us um in in the person and uh, work of Jesus Christ. God you are good and gracious to your people. Um you throughout uh history have guarded us and guided us god you continue to do so today god we watch as we've as we started this history class um uh, looking back through um the story of the way that you have worked throughout history god um we look to anticipation with the ways that you might move um in our own time god we know that uh you take your people in in various places through um, times of uh, chastening, through times of blessing, God, you draw your people um, to to follow you and and live for you in in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of unique circumstances throughout the world. God, we see you bringing revival to the nations um, throughout the history of the church, God, and we ask that you would do that in our place in our time. God, that we would see you work in a unique way in in our church in Blunt County in East Tennessee, in our state, in our country, God, and in the world. As as we look around the world, God, if in certain places we see a people that is is stepping back from you, um, that is ceasing to believe, that is retreating, um, God, in other places we see your gospel going forth and exploding. Uh, God, your disciples multiplying and your church growing. Um, God, we ask to be in the second group. Um, we ask to see you working uh, here uh, in our own community in that way. God, help us to live in such a way that you would bless us in such a way. God, help us to live in, in light of the, the scripture that we're about to read uh, or we're about to look into tonight. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen okay, so um, we'll just kind of begin um, by considering the events of the days that we live in right um, so so we didn't talk about it last weekend even though the events were were developing as as we were meeting last weekend but obviously two two incredible things have gone on um, over the last week one is is the implosion of the the uh, nation of Afghanistan um the uh the, the tragedy there the the regression the um the what feels like 20 years of of work and influence and lives and sacrifice to be thrown away in in a moment and there's all kinds of stuff we could say about that we've already prayed for the unique situation that is going to be going on in that country uh for for believers but but an incredible event um, unprecedented in some ways in in recent time. Um, incredibly, though, there was another thing that happened last Saturday that uh, was equally um, headline grabbing, and yet nobody uh, was barely talking about it because of what was going on in Afghanistan. And that was the earthquake that rocked Haiti on Saturday morning. Um, nowhere near as devastating as the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, but nevertheless killing over 2,000 people, um, injuring over 15,000 people, uh, displacing people from, from over 50,000 homes that were destroyed. Um, and then to have tro- Tropical Storm Grace come in right behind that earthquake. Um, an incredible event, something that would have probably drawn a lot more attention uh, in the press were it not for the events uh, going on in Afghanistan. Um, I, I want to draw attention to those two events because it, I think our passage um, relates to them incredibly in the illustrations that it is dealing with, um, in this thing where Pilate uh, is is mixing the blood of these these Judean men. In the sacrifice, it says, and then this situation of the collapse of the Tower of Siloam. There's some connections there. And the same questions that we might ask in our own day as we hear about these events are the same questions that are being asked in this passage. So, again, we have these two sort of sections of this, of this account that we're looking at. First, there's this controversy where these, these people are coming to Jesus and asking about the significance and the meaning of these two events that have taken place. And then Jesus tells a parable on top of that. Both of those instances are unique to Luke. They're not found anywhere else in the scriptures. In fact, historically, we have no record of those two events anywhere else in, in, in Jewish history or Roman history or anything like that. And so um, we, we have to make some assumptions about what's going on and some different things like that. But, but all in all, as you can tell from the text, it's another passage about repentance. And I know some of you are probably thinking, Ash, that's all we talk about. Anymore, right? We just continue to talk about repentance week after week. And and the reason we talk about repentance week after week is because that's what the text is talking about week after week. That Jesus is in this in this section, he is reminding people of the significance of those things, of the centrality of repentance in our life, how we can't do anything um, in terms of the kingdom without first coming before God in repentance um and dealing um uh, with God in terms of repentance. And so I think this passage has some things to say to us, particularly in our in our cultural moment, um, but it continues to build on this theme that we've been talking about, and providentially it, it it seems to me, I see the connections anyway, between the the unprecedented events that are going on in our culture. So again, let's kind of look at it real quick. I'll read the passage, at the beginning of it again. It says there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the first event, that one about the, the, the Galileans whose blood uh, Pilate mingled with the sacrifice. So, again, we don't know exactly. There's not a lot of details there. We are making some assumptions about what's going on. But probably the case is this. These Galilean men came to the temple to offer sacrifices. And for some reason, they were men that Pilate didn't like. Maybe they were revolutionaries. Maybe they were zealots. Maybe they were who knows what they were. Um, but Pilate caught them at the temple. And apparently had them executed. The, the soldiers killed them at the temple, and so there is this picture there. Of the idea that they were coming to offer the blood sacrifice to the temple, and yet it was their blood that was mingled with that sacrifice. Okay, now if, if you don't know, that would be a a outrage, right, to the Jewish people. That it, this would be something that you know would have caused a lot of uproar um, in in that uh, in that time. Okay. Um, the other story, again, is something that we don't have any external evidence for, but it is the collapse of this tower of Siloam or in Siloam. Siloam is a, a suburb of, of Jerusalem, right? It's an area of the city, and so apparently there was a tower that was there, and apparently this tower fell down and killed 18 people. Now, I think the case is this. We can look at those two illustrations and use them as generally representing Two kinds of evil, or two kinds of sources of tragedy is maybe a better way of saying it, okay? So Pilate's situation represents human evil. It didn't happen on accident. There was an actor, an agent behind the event. Somebody perpetrated that evil on somebody else. Murder or or assault or rape or persecution. Acts committed against someone that produced suffering, right? And so we might see that connected to what's going on in Afghanistan, right? The things that are going on in Afghanistan are not accidents. They are not natural events. They are caused by wicked people acting wickedly and and persecuting other people. The Tower of Siloam, however, is a little bit of a different situation. It has more of the feel of something like what we would call an act of God. Now, it could be the case that the tower fell because of shoddy workmanship or or negligence on the part or something like that, some kind of unsafe situation. But it may have just been the product of of time and, and decay, right? That's what happens to buildings, it may have been the product of something like an earthquake and, and, and something happened and this, this, this tower became unstable and fell. But in general, it seems like it was just a tragic accident. Another event, even in recent weeks and months that we can think about is, is the situation in Surfside, Florida with this condo that, that probably some of you have seen that. In the middle of the night, half of this condo collapses and kills 98 people who are sleeping in their beds inside the condo, like a horrific, scary kind of thought or whatever. And it seems to be the case that, yes, there were some warning signs, that some building permits and things that said, hey, you need to fix this thing, but but nobody thought that this whole building was just going to collapse one day, and then it did. And So the question at hand here, the question that these Jewish people talking to Jesus seem to be asking is, why did these things happen to these people? So the typical view in a Hebrew mindset was that suffering or death was God's judgment on someone. In many ways, honestly, that's the mindset of all religious people everywhere. And in some ways, it's the mindset of people in general. We see other little hints that that's the way people think throughout the Bible. You remember in John chapter 9 where the man who was born blind is brought before Jesus. And what's the question that everybody has? Was this man born blind because he was a sinner or because his parents were sinners? Because if he's suffering, if he has this this uh, this handicap, it must be because somebody sinned. That's why he has it. That was among the Jews, but even among non-Jewish people. Think about when Paul shipwrecks um, in in Italy on his way to Rome. And it says in Acts 28 that, Uh, as the people, the survivors come out of the water and they come onto the shore that the locals uh, build a fire and start attending to those people who have come out of the water and and Paul takes a log and he throws it in the fire and as he's doing it, a poisonous snake comes out of a hole in the log, latches onto um, Paul's hand and and then Paul pulls the snake off and throws it into the fire. And what does it say the response of the people is? The people say, this guy must have been a particularly wicked man Because even though he survived the shipwreck, fate, the gods have seen to it that he still died because he got this bite from this poisonous snake, right? Wickedness brings on this judgment, except as we know, that's not what happened. Jesus, I mean, uh, Paul pulls the snake off and throws it in and it has no effect. And then they say, well, if it has no effect, he must not be somebody incredibly wicked. He must actually be a god. Right. And so they they go that direction with it but it but, but it points to the idea that um whether you're jewish or or non-jewish there is this typical way of thinking that bad people um are punished in some way okay and here's the deal i think honestly even though we are not primitive people from the first century primitive people from the first century, we're not superstitious the way those people are. I think we think that way too. Or maybe a better way of saying it is that we don't think that way, but we sure feel that way. When bad things happen to a wicked person, there's a little voice in the back of our heads, or maybe better, a little voice in the back of our hearts that says, you know, it's too bad, but they got what was coming to them particularly on the other side, when bad things happen to good people, and by good people we typically mean me, we say, man, what the heck, God? Like, why are you allowing these things to happen? I I don't deserve this. I haven't done anything to deserve this kind of, of suffering or judgment. So basically like an attitude that either God actively brings disaster on bad people or at the very least if that person had been a better follower of God, that he would have protected them from that bad thing, right? That's the attitude that sort of floats in the back of our perception. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's shifting our understanding about these things somewhat by asking one question out loud and then perhaps implying a second question between the lines. So the out loud question, he said, asks twice, And he asks it in uh, verse 2, and he asks it in verse 4. And the question is this. Do you think they were any worse? That's the question. Do you think the people that died by Pilate's hand or the people that died by the accident with the tower, do you think that they were worse? So here's the deal. If God punishes bad people, Were these people the worst people in Jerusalem at the time for God to allow these things or cause these things to happen to them? The question being asked here is pretty similar to the one that we find in the book of Job. Really the whole book of Job is about it, which just demonstrates the fact that this is the way people have thought forever, right? It's the same kind of, Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. It's probably the one that was written first. It obviously doesn't, the events are not first, but it was written before any of the other ones probably. And what is the issue with the whole thing? It's, it's, it's the same argument that's going on here. Something bad has happened to me. Why is that happening to me? The answer from the crowd, well, you must have done something wrong. God's judging you for something. If you'd been a better person, God wouldn't have let this happen. And then the response comes back, yeah, 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 but there's all these people who are way worse than me walking around, and they're happy and healthy and having a good time. How come he's not judging any of those people? Is God not just in these things and that's the question that keeps on bouncing around in this in, in the book of Job right but Jesus is changing our perspective on that and so he says, are these people worse and then what's the next word in both cases he says no. these people weren't any worse than everybody else and so from one side their death, was not directly connected to their particular sin, you would say. All right, so what does that mean for us? Well, when bad things happen to someone in the world, in the church, again, the thought in the back of our head might be to say, well, I wonder what was going on in their life that God would allow these bad things to happen. They must have had some kind of secret sin that they weren't telling anybody about, that God has punished them in this way. Maybe if they'd been more faithful, God would have protected them. But here's the reality, and it's the case every single time. Suffering is inscrutable. Okay? Suffering, there's not any explaining. It. Now, here's what we can do. We can go to the scriptures and see all kinds of possible answers as to why God would allow suffering. Right? There's lots of reasons that we can see why God might use suffering. But usually the case is, in our particular individual case, It's hard to tell why God would allow us to go through these things. Usually the only way we have any kind of insight into that is with hindsight, right? When a few years down the road, when we start looking back to that suffering, we can start saying, you know, I see how God used this suffering in my life. But when you're in the midst of it, there's not any answers. And you can sit there and ask God all you want to, and odds are he's probably not going to tell you why things are going the way they are in the moment. We're just called to be faithful in those times. Why would God allow this? Is Afghanistan more evil than every other country? On the contrary, I think what we're going to find in the coming weeks is that certainly the Christians in Afghanistan are much more faithful than most Christians in the world. It can't be because they as a people are, are worse off in some way. Suffering there is not a result of unfaithfulness. I think it's going to end up being that we're going to see faithfulness in the midst of it. And guess what? We know that that's the way things work. Job and Joseph would be great examples, but really the only example we need is Jesus. Suffering came to ultimate righteousness, and yet Jesus still suffered. Righteousness didn't keep Jesus. From suffering, the wicked suffer; the righteous suffer. Good people suffer; bad people suffer. Does Haiti deserve being hit by two earthquakes in ten years? Here's the truth, man. You look at Haiti's history; I got a lot of craziness. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's happened in Haiti over the last two hundred years, and there have been people, particularly people in in the evangelical tv christian world who have blamed the events in haiti on their their history but here's the thing i mean, i feel like it's hard to argue that haiti's worse than north korea so why isn't north korea getting this kind of treatment and the answer is is haiti worse is afghanistan worse the answer is nope not worse than anybody else that's what jesus tells us no i tell you they're not worse But then he says something else, and it's also something he says twice. Oh, I take that out. Sorry, I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit. There's a second question, though, there, right, the one between the lines that I mentioned. The, The upfront question is, are these people any worse? But here's the other question. The question between the lines is, do you think you're any better? That's the other question. Do you think that you're any better than any of these people? Because that next phrase makes this passage a little difficult to kind of get a hold of. Makes it a little cumbersome. Because he says, these people weren't any worse than anybody else. And our first impulse would say, cool. Then that means it didn't. Ha- their sin didn't have anything to do with the suffering that they experienced. But then the very next phase, phrase says, and unless you repent, you likewise. Likewise is that key term, will perish. In the same way that they perished, you'll perish. And it'll be a function of you not repenting. And then you start going, well, that makes it sound like their judgment, their suffering, was a function of their sin. So which is it? These tragedies, they didn't happen because those people were particularly evil, it seems. But then at the same time, that doesn't mean that their suffering and their sin are completely separated either. He says, but if you don't repent of your evil, the same kind of thing will happen to you. So here's the deal, man. We we have to remember this. Sin is connected to suffering. Sin is connected to judgment. The Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. I would argue that doesn't stop being true when you become a believer. Okay, The wages of sin is still death. Even as a believer, if you continue to live in sin, it is going to cost you your life. Sin brings death. It brings degradation degradation into our lives. And that's true for everybody. Lost person, saved person. Backslidden person, faithful person. All of us are in the same boat when it comes to those things. You guys know I've, I've given a lot of illustrations from Western movies recently. Love Westerns, okay? So one of my favorite Westerns, it's a hard movie to recommend because it's a rough movie, okay? But one of my favorite Westerns is the movie Unforgiven. And so the, the a short version of it is it's about these, this Clint Eastwood who becomes a bounty hunter to try to bring to revenge um, uh, a guy who's done some bad things. He gets a couple other guys around him. They go searching for this bad guy. One of them is this hotshot young guy and he thinks he's, you know, a tough guy and he's going to go out and he's going to get these bad guys. And he's going to kill them and no big deal. And what ends up happening is they find the bad guy they're looking for and the young man kills him. And in the moment after he kills him, he is shook by that. He thought it was going to be so easy. He thought he was going to be this tough guy. And now he has murdered this other person, shot him in the back, if I remember, right? It's sort of a dishonorable way of killing him in the first place. And he's, and he's shook by it. Um, and and he's sitting there trying to emotionally and 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 morally deal with what he has done. And at one point he says to himself, "Well, I guess the guy had it coming." And Clint Eastwood turns to him and says, "We've all got it coming." And that's a powerful line in that movie. And it's exactly the point that we're getting at here: is that when we see somebody suffer and we think, "Man, bad guys get what get what they deserve," the reality is the Bible teaches, "No." We're all bad guys. And were it not for Jesus Christ, we would all get what we deserve. And in fact, there is a way that we will still have to deal with the consequences of our sin, even if we are in Christ. We will still have to deal with the consequences of our sin. Maybe not in the context of judgment, but certainly in the context of discipline. And so Jesus is correcting our wrong understanding. The first correction is that bad things only happen to particularly bad people. And the answer is, nope. That's not how the world works. But the second correction is just because bad things aren't happening to you right now doesn't mean God is pleased with you in terms of the way you're living your life. No, for the person who is not trusted in Christ, their sin in that moment is incurring guilt and wrath from God. And even for the follower of Christ, that unrepentantness, that unconcernedness with sin Invites God's discipline. And even though that discipline is loving ultimately, it's not going to be pleasant when God brings us to account for our sin. No, God sees and he knows every ounce and every occurrence of our sin, everything that we do and to stand by and to do nothing, to refuse to repent, to refuse to walk in faith and repentance will result in our deaths. So then here's the question. Then why, if we are worthy of that judgment and discipline, why is God not doing it right now? Why are you this moment, even though you may have unrepentant sin in your life, I may have unrepentant sin in my life. Why is God not bringing me to account? Why is he not bringing the lost person to judgment? Why is he not bringing the saved person to discipline right now? We deserve it. He's promised it. So where's it at? Well, that's where the parable comes in. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree and planted in his, he planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up ground? So it can't be denied the situation of this fig tree. The fig tree is not doing what fig trees are supposed to do. Okay, Fig trees have one job. They're supposed to grow figs, produce figs, and it isn't doing that, and it hasn't been doing that. The fig fig tree that doesn't bear fruit is just taking up space. That's all it's doing. Israel, the church, mankind have one job, to believe and repent. That's your job. It's the only thing you're called to do is believe and repent. And the one who does not believe and repent is just taking up space. And so the illustration, the parable says, the owner of the vineyard says, it's time to remove this victory. It's time to get it out of here. It's just taking up space. It's just using up space and resources. If being dug up and cast into the fire is imminent and just, then why has it not happened yet? The reason is, is because the vine dresser hasn't given up on the fig tree, not just yet. And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on it manure. The vine dresser says, hold on just a little bit longer. Let me give this plant every opportunity to flourish. Let me dig around it to to aerate the soil, right? So that, that water and nutrients and, and air and nitrogen and all that stuff can get down to the roots of the plant. Let me spread fertilizer all around the plant so that we know for a fact that it has everything it needs to succeed and flourish where it's at. The reason that we have not been disciplined for our sin is because not because God doesn't care about it and not because he's necessarily pleased with the way that we are living our lives, but that we have been shown mercy. Even now, we are living in the moment he describes there. The moment when we have every opportunity and every advantage to turn from sin and follow Christ. Blessings in the word, blessings in the church, blessings in worship, blessings in ordinances, blessing in witness, blessing in rebuke, blessing in the accountable community of, of of the church. We have all these things that are telling us you must turn from your sin and you must follow Jesus Christ. We have every opportunity to do this. But here's the key and it, and and it's in keeping with the rest of the passages that we've read over the last few weeks, but not forever. It's not, we are not going to exist in this situation of mercy forever. That there will come a time when it will be time to dig the tree up. There will come a time when if it hasn't been fruitful, then it's going to be removed. If it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. The mercy is extended for a time. And then if there's no improvement, then the ax is at the root. So the parable is, again, it's a repeat of many of the things that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. It's the same picture. The parable is a reminder that God's mercy is at hand. Right now is the day of salvation. Right now is the moment to ask forgiveness, to repent, turn around, do what you are called to do. And that the warnings we have reviewed over the last week, staying awake, being ready, all those illustrations are urgent. And they must be acted on because time is short. Time is short for those who don't know Christ. They must turn to him now before it's too late. But time is short for those of us who are, know Christ and who yet live in our unrepented sin. Because Jesus says, I won't let you do that forever. At some point, I'm going to discipline you for those things. And that discipline will not be pleasant. Now is the time to turn back to God. Now is the time to trust in Christ and turn from our sin. So I won't believe you that anymore. Because again, I think we've talked about it a little bit over the last few weeks, but we're going to go to the Lord in a time of prayer and just continue to say, God, will you show me the places that I'm falling short? Will you show me those sins that I have gotten so used to? They don't even seem like big deals anymore. Those places in my life that I just keep on living over and over again, thinking I've sort of come into a nice equilibrium with this sin. It doesn't seem to be affecting my life too bad. Uh, you know, uh, my friends still like me and my f- Wife still likes me and my kids still like me and I can do this sin apparently and there are no consequences for it. The Bible tells us there are consequences, that the wages of sin are death and now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, the beauty of your word compels us to to um, not paint you in in simplistic terms, God, because as we as we look to that parable, uh, Father, you are the owner of that vineyard, but you are also the vine dresser. God, there is justice and judgment and discipline. God, that is good and right and as is part of your character. God, that will be dealt out. And yet, God, in your mercy, the vine dresser has said, not yet. Give them more time to turn from their sin. Give them more time to obey. Give them more time to bear fruit, to live in a way that honors you. God, help us to... Be the vine, the fig tree that bears fruit. God, help us to turn to the vine dresser in in thanksgiving for the mercy that we have been shown and the opportunity that we have been given. God, do not let us wait and wait and then discover that it's too late. We've missed our window. God, we thank you, we praise you, we ask you to work these things in our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Please stand and sing the closing song. Where he stands he's ready, stand to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able.
1: He is willing
0: down no your home. not God,
1: of repentance in that song. Okay, Um, part of the reason why we do bulletins and don't have something projected up on the screen or whatever is because so you can take this home, right? And you can use it, and you can look at these songs, and you can look at these lyrics, and you can and see what they say, and remember what they say. Listen here. This is we've talked about repentance three weeks in a row, but here's a piece of understanding repentance that we have not directly addressed in the sermon, but it's addressed in this song. Okay. If you tarry till you're better, if you wait until you don't have sin in your life before you come to Christ, you will never come at all because that's never going to happen. You're never going to get to the point where you're worthy of this. You're never going to get to the point where you're, uh, where you're sinless and you are worthy of Jesus Christ. Let not conscience make you linger nor fitness fondly dream. If you have this idea in your head that one of these days I'm gonna get my act together and I'm gonna I'm just gonna live in a righteous way and I'm gonna do everything right. I'm gonna come before Jesus and Jesus is gonna say, buddy, I'm glad you're on my team now. I'm glad you finally got all that stuff fixed up so that you can come and, and be a part of my kingdom. If you think, if you if a fitness you fondly dream, he says, you're misunderstanding. The only fitness you require is to feel your need of him. The only thing that you need is to recognize the necessity of salvation, the necessity of Jesus Christ. Venture on him and venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. Trust in nothing else but only in Jesus Christ. That's a great, man, there's a whole theology of repentance in that song. I hope you'll use those. I hope you'll go that song, man. This is, I mean, I tell Cheeto all the time. That's one of my favorite songs we do ever anywhere. Um, I love it. Um, it's 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 a great song, particularly when we talk about repentance. Um, glad you were here. Sorry, that was sermon number two. Um, uh, glad you were here. Um, good to see you. Um, honestly, I haven't looked ahead a whole lot. We may be talking about repentance again next week. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll just see what happens. Um, it'll it'll determine. It'll be determined by what Jesus wants us to talk about according to the gospel of Luke. Um, But good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, We'll see you next week. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.
2: There's some harmonic
0: that I can hear, I don't know like if it's up a third or a third, but there's something that
2: you
0: know, hit a bunch of times and it's very pale all the time, it's
2: something with third turn on like when you're playing a G or something, you're somehow catching it, really pale. Now I hear now, I didn't hear it in the last song, I heard it in the first two songs. It sounded like it was in the third. So that's why I just think it would be. A uh, was it? You said it was embellished
0: as a. That's yeah, a, you know, like like
2: this harmonic key, like, It's like That's there
0: somewhere.
2: There we go. The bail. Like, like I swear, I heard it a few times in the first two songs. You'd be playing and it would just hit that harmonic. I have a treble all the way up. Maybe next time I'll turn it down
1: a bit. Yeah, we'll play with it.
2: I'll get it to work. Nick hates
0: it.
2: He's a newfangled guitar magic? I don't know where you
0: got that. Unless you trashed it, like. I'll sit right on the bed now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very wanted to be with we yeah. like...